Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello, Andrew, Andrew. How you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We got actually a big game to break down. How about that? Never, never thought I'd see that in 2020. After, uh, after the first two weeks, I didn't think we'd be talking about uh, a game with marginal playoff implications for the Vikings. Yes, Vikings, Bears, Soldier Field, midseason. Um, I know the Bears started off so well, but I don't know how many people thought they were going many places, and certainly the same thoughts for the Vikings. But now all of a sudden this game on Monday night, not too bad for the ESPN ratings. Uh, potentially, you're going to have uh, Ben. Was it a few years ago where Kirk Cousins was one was kind of coming out there saying, "Hey, we're the reasons why this game is on Monday night." I'm yes, not, I'm not saying that's the case this time, but at least it's a little more appetizing of a matchup than maybe we thought, you know, a month ago. Yeah, I, I think probably the beginning of the season that was the reason that this was scheduled for Monday night because the Vikings sure. were coming off the playoff trip, and it's been an entertaining matchup. We've seen it on. Monday night, this will be the third time in four years, I think, that ESPN has stuck this one on Monday night. And, and it may be the type of game that ESPN gets these days, that it's two markets that'll watch. It's not two teams that are the hardest to get when Fox and NBC are, get the first pick on games. And I, Thursday night seems like it gets a better slate now as well. But it has produced some entertaining matchups. There was the, the Halloween night um, – misadventure in 2016 there was sam bradford mm. in 2017 in case keenum came in and saved the season um and then last year i guess was the one that was not in prime time but then sunday night the one you're referring to andrew was sunday night in 2018 when the bears got hot and cousins came out cousins had like a three-week stretch there where he was the guy that was breaking the huddle down for the game and, and nbc's cameras caught him going they're not the reason this game got flexed we are and they were terrible and that was the beginning of the end of the uh, Zimmer DiFilippo relationship so it's been entertaining there have been some plots galore when they go down there that's for sure yeah and that's one of the ties to this game and we'll talk about John DeFilippo is now the quarterback's coach Nick Foles the quarterback no longer Mitchell Trubisky um, the Vikings we've every year when we talk about this matchup we have to talk about the issues the Vikings have going to Chicago um, predating Zimmer as he wanted to mention today and saying that, hey, these issues happened well before I got here. But they include him. They're two and four and six trips under Mike Zimmer. They average I got 15. a kick out of that. They average 15 points under Mike Zimmer in Chicago. Yeah, he Ben, right? He wanted to kind of point out at least that, hey, it's not all me, right? No, but the offensive coordinator quitting the day after the game happened when they were there. Um the clock Halloween massacre. Halloween massacre. That's the same one as North Turner quitting. Um, right. 2018 was the beginning of the end for that team. Uh, last year, <laughs> they lost, and there was uh, a schism in the locker room. Not the one that you're thinking of. The, the Cousins stealing one was sort of the fake schism, but then there's Stephon Diggs going AWOL. So there have been enough issues that the um, – Meltdown in 2013, 2012, et cetera. I, I, I don't know that I'd stand on that record too strongly there, Mike. Did we mention the clocks going out in 2014? 2014? Yeah, okay. Did we mention that? Yeah, that was one, two, where the clocks went out and Teddy Bridgewater didn't know how much time he had, lops up an interception, thinking it's 
the clock's expiring and it was like 40 some seconds left. Um, I think the final, I can't remember the order of it. I, I think it was Rams first and then this one. So I, I think the final Blair Walsh game winner was in Soldier Field in 2015. They won at the buzzer on a Walsh field goal. Yeah, that would have been one of the last ones, right? Because that playoff game at Seattle was the following January, right? Yes. He had back-to-back winners in C- against the Rams at home in a game that my fascination with has been well-documented on this podcast. The Take the Wind game, also known as the uh, things we can't say on this podcast because Mike's are much mic'd up game. A lot um, of bleeps. Yeah, a lot of, lot yeah, of bleeps. Yeah, the bleep me, bleep you game. Um and then I think the Bears was the next week, if I recall. But, yeah, Walsh hit back-to-back game winners, and then I don't believe hit another one and, um, and before the playoffs, and then the famous 27-yard field goal Did was in that playoff. So it's, all, it's, it's always something. <laughs> but I guess, Mike, what, what's your favorite moment either from, from your uh, Chicago past in terms of Vikings traveling there or just in general, what's your confidence level going into this one, considering it's still Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, and as Mike Zimmer pointed out after saying it wasn't just me, uh, this defensive front is what makes it difficult, not just going to Chicago. Well, two things stand out. One, I went to a game just as a fan, <clears throat> 1999, so the year after the Magic year, where they were they were all over the map. They ended up finishing 10 and six. They go to they go to Soldier Field, really need a win because this is kind of like in the middle of their season where they've been scuffling. I think they were like maybe five and five at the time. Is this Jeff, Jeff George, George by this Jeff point? George is the quarterback by this point. Um, Denny Green's still the coach um, they, they, in Soldier Field. What stands out to me, it was like two days after Walter Payton had died. And so there's like all this, like, you know, Walter Payton, um, you know, tributes going on. Um, it's a cold, windy day at Soldier Field. I can't remember what time of year it is, but probably November, probably around this time. If it was if they were kind of middle of the season. Denny Green manages in his infinite wisdom to – defer in a way that Chicago gets the ball to start both the first half and the second half. So basically he chooses kind of like Zimmer in overtime of that game. He chooses the wind essentially, but in choosing the wind, he chooses the wind for the first and the third quarter, basically. So they wind up giving Chicago the ball to start both halves and going against the wind in the fourth quarter wow and what happens is not okay so it's 20 i think it's 20 and 20 um they get down it's like a chip shot like 20 yard field goal for gary anderson to win it um there's a bad hold and he misses a 20 yard field goal at the buzzer they go to overtime jeff george gets picked off bears return it into vikings territory looks like they're gonna win um, then the Bears kicker misses a field goal. Um, like the guy from Chicago probably could have ran the interception all the way back for a touchdown, but he like decides to slide at the 20 for some reason because uh, maybe he's worried about a turnover. But I think it was Chris Boniel misses a kick for Chicago. And Gary Anderson kicking into the wind has like just enough leg to make a 35 yarder or something at the in, in overtime. They win 23 20 in this game. They had no business winning. Chris Carter had like 220 <laughs> yards receiving. It was, it was a memorable, epic game. But what it does make you think of though is that in, in addition to this being a crazy game if and when the vikings win in chicago which is rare they tend to make the playoffs that year that, that that's kind of a a harbinger of of 
it was kind of a marker of if they win in Chicago, they make the playoffs. So you can take that for what it's worth this week. Yeah, the yeah, outlier right. would have been last year, right? What's that? Right. The outlier they would be just last year because right, they, like they don't. They don't yeah, have they, to win to get to the. Playoffs. It's not like they right. haven't. It's not like they haven't made the playoffs when they when they don't win in Chicago, but they won in Chicago in 2017. Uh, they won there 15, 99, obviously 98. I'm sure because they made one loss. Um, you know, other yeah, others right. in there too. Um, they did not win there in 09 because I think they lost in overtime. But you know that. You know, and obviously it's a road division game. So if you win in a road division game, you're probably pretty good, and you're you know it's going to help you on your playoff push. But on those rare instances, it's probably been uh, it probably been the difference sometimes between a playoff season and a non-playoff season. So, well, and the thing too is in this year of no home field advantage, um, tune in for more on that in your uh, Friday Star Tribune. Um, I'm intrigued. The Vikings have the potential to go, if they win this game, to go undefeated in the NFC North on the road this year, which, I mean, assuming they can win on January 3rd at Ford Field, that'd be the only obstacle to going undefeated in the road in the division, which the last time they would have done that, I suppose probably would have been 2017. Yeah, because they won at, Green, um, won at Green Bay, won at Chicago that year, and I'm assuming they won in Detroit. Yeah, because their um, losses were early. They lost at home to Detroit that year, didn't they? Yeah, so they did. Dalvin Week Cook, four, Dalvin got hurt. Game. And they lost um, to Pittsburgh and somebody else. Pittsburgh and uh, Carolina. So, yes, they beat Detroit on the road. So, yeah, it'd be the first time since then. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a meaningful game. And, you know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, you look at, like, playoff odds type sites – like they've shown the Vikings like 20% or so right now. And I saw betting odds were like five to one. So that's about 20% right there. I, I wish, you know, 538 does this thing. And they don't think they start it until a little bit later in the season where you can kind of, and again, take, take 538 for what it's worth. They might've missed on a few election polls, but <clears throat> um, NFL being what it is, you can, you know, you can go and like add a win and see how that improves. Uh, you know, I would imagine see the Vikings path to victory. Yeah, you can see you can see kind of what happens if you kind of play it out a certain way. I would imagine if you went and gave this one a win, I would push the Vikings up into more of like the thirty to thirty-five percent chance to make the playoffs. Uh, and if they lose, I'd say you put them down to about ten percent. So it's it's a, probably a pretty heavy swing kind of game just because of the nature of it. Yeah, one of the cool things I like, I think it is 538. One of those sites does something where it's like just a chart of leverage games, and it just shows, hey, each game, this each team has this much leverage to gain or lose with a win in terms of playoff chances. And this one, I think, had the highest in terms of the Vikings and Bears having the most to gain or lose um, in terms of the playoff race at this point because you've got the NFC West that is pretty loaded. You've got all those teams that are vying for those spots, and even with the extra playoff seating. Um, you're going to have to get probably, as Ben's talked about, eight or nine wins. And if you drop this one, yeah, it's going to have to come down to then stealing one against Tom Brady or Drew Brees, possibly. And I don't know if you want to really leave it up to that. Well, I mean, you think about it. It's a division game against a team that you're chasing. And it's a chance, as you just mentioned, to not have to go beat Brady or Brees on the road, which if you have to do that, it makes it a lot tougher. And Yes, there's an extra playoff team, but one of the things I think that probably hurts is that they're giving a playoff spot to whoever wins the NFC East at six and ten or seven and nine, yeah. and those teams are then getting beat up on when they play outside their division 
by the other teams in the NFC who then can stack up wins. So it's not as though that extra playoff spot means you're going to get in at eight and eight. And one of those spots no. is going automatically to a bad team, which that happens anyway, but it's not something where the, the entire conference is just kind of in the middle. I mean, I, I think there's a good chance that, I mean, nine and seven probably puts you in a tiebreaker, I would think. Maybe. Um, I mean, who's so, who's vulnerable i mean there's a lot i mean this even the think, seventh seed right now would have five wins right now i think yeah you want those nfc west teams to beat up on each other yep i think the cardinals right now are that seventh team and the niners are right below them and so those are the two teams you would hope if you're the vikings you're hoping that they kind of falter and don't do as well the rams too mm-hmm. right around the five wins yeah and the rams too so yeah they're all kind of the same right at that point um well, anyway, Mike, what, what is your confidence level, though? Because you've seen the Vikings offensive line do a little bit better, and mm-hmm. it's been against, you know, Danny Shelton. Um, and, and the Packers front is good. You it say that with such disdain. Like, it, it, yeah, you know, it just – wish you could have seen Andrew's face you when he said Danny that. Danny Shelton. You no, just, I like, look – it's like it's a thousand more, yard stare when you said that. We were like, more, nobody can see Andrew. But. All right, I got to be honest. That was about Matt Patricia. That was more about <laughs> – that was more about the Lions just being really bad. And, you know, I just think yeah. about watching that game. Hey, how do you have 10 guys? And then I read after the game that they do that apparently a lot. That's just a thing they do. They've had 10 guys on the field three times in the last two losses. And it's like, how does that continually just keep happening? Anyway, It's not like so they, some next level Belichick take a well, penalty to save time. There's the, probably. There's the thing. Like, I, when they were doing that, I was thinking, like, could you – could that be the next countermeasure against Aaron Rodgers? Could you like pretend like you're like running a guy off the field frantically so he thinks he has a free play and then he throws up an interception? He just turns around and comes back. But you really, but you only have, but you only have ten really. Counteract the twelve man thing. Yeah, I don't know. Was, Belichick yeah. cover bands tend not to be Belichick. That's very yeah. true. And, um, so you're, you're asking my confidence level. Yeah, and then just understanding, too, that this Bears defense is number one in the red zone, um, number two in fewest three – or most three and outs forced. Um, they're just really, really good up front. Yeah, that's the problem, right? I mean, it's – I think you hit it. The, the, you know, the Packers have a better pedigree than the Lions did, but they've, they've still got – game and in different areas. So it's – the competition level goes up. And, and if you're – you know, you're not going to have a game probably where Kirk Cousins only has to throw the ball 14 times or 20 times. And when he does, it travels about 1.8 air yards or whatever it is past the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Like he has barely had to do anything. Dalvin Cook has done so much. And to your point, the offensive line, I don't know how much of it is opponent, how much of it is improvement. I was shocked to learn that Garrett Bradbury is now pro football Focus's number eight ranked center for the entire season. Um, that was uh, not something that it was, uh, I was uh, imagining was going to happen. Um, Brian O'Neill is like a top 10 tackle. Like they're, they're playing better, but I, again, I don't know how much of that is opponent how much of that is scheme, how much of that is just being able to do the things they do well, which is run the ball. Andrew, I think you problems. and I had the same conversation uh, before the game in 2018, where I, I think I was picking them to win because they'd gotten on a little bit of a roll and it was like, okay, I think they can go down there and win the game. And you, I remember you just being like, no, they're, they're not going to beat this bears defense. And you were very much correct on that front. And I, I feel like this is a little bit of the same. I mean, probably because a lot of these things have a change with these two teams, but I feel like we're, we're going over a lot of the same ground and, and the trick for the Vikings is not having the result be the same. The yeah, biggest that, difference. Oh, go ahead. Andrew. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say in terms of the offensive line, it really comes down to how much progress have they made is, is Garrett Bradbury going to continue to surprise us and do really well against Akeem Hicks in a way that we haven't seen any Viking center do against Akeem Hicks. Um, I do think the Vikings tackles are much better and they've got the stability right now with Riley reef that you can maybe hold up against Robert Quinn. I think O'Neill can do enough against Cleo Mack, but it's Akeem Hicks in the center that really scares you. If you're the Vikings, it's is Ezra Cleveland, um, is it going to be Dakota Dozier holding up as much as possible? Cause those guys are still the weakest links of that group. And then it does come down to how much improvement Garrett Bradbury has made to make sure they don't just get totally blown up in the middle like they have before. And Dalvin cook, if he continues to just dodge people left and right, that's great. I just need to see it against a number one defense as opposed to the, the Detroit lions, which as we just talked about. Are- yeah. The Bradbury point is a good one because I re- that game in 2018, that was sort of the beginning of the end for Pat Elfline as a center too. I mean, he had a terrible night against Akeem Hicks, and it was it was one of those games where you're just like, I, against this type of defensive tackle, he's outclassed, and that obviously was the beginning of the end for him at center because then they they went and drafted Garrett Bradbury. But having somebody that can that can control Akeem Hicks, both I think against the run and for as good of a pass rusher as he is up the middle you have to have somebody that can help with that as well. So yeah, this is a, a good litmus test type game for Bradbury. He hasn't been beaten by Kenny Clark in the same way that he was last year in the matchups this year. Uh, Grady Jarrett had a pretty good day against them, but that the Vikings were pretty bad in that game overall. But this is one I think where if you feel like he's making progress in year two, this is a good chance to see if it's real or not because Akeem Hicks has had a lot of success against this line and you need to control him. If you're going to be able to do what you want to do offensively, I think. Yeah. Maybe the big, maybe the big difference from 2018 is the bears offense is not anywhere near what the bears offense was in 2018. So this could be like a first team to 20 kind of game. I mean, as bad as the, as bad as the Vikings defense could be just because of how thin they are still at, at secondary, the bears are not good on they're just they they make so many mistakes they you know they even when they seem like they're getting ahead of the chains they can't convert on third and ones they just they do a lot of things to hurt themselves and get themselves off the field so I mean it if if there's a saving grace for the Vikings that they might not they're not going to move the ball the way they have the last two weeks it's that they could find themselves in a 13 to 10 game in the fourth quarter where they find their find a way to win beware the foals man yeah seen it before he's done it before he's done it before this, this is not the uh, 2018 Eagles or what was it? 2017 Eagles offensive yeah, line. That, yeah. This is not that. Um, no, that's the, true. That line the, Bears, the, the Bears offensive line has, has been really bad. I think they've given up, I think three sacks in the last, each of the last three games. Um, and, and what's the, the shocking part of that, not only is it due because they throw so much, but they throw so much quick stuff that you shouldn't be giving up as much pressure yeah. as they do. And they still do. And so I think this is one where we could see the Vikings defense look a little better than maybe we were thinking they should. Um, and David Montgomery's in the concussion protocol, and they're already down Tariq Cohen. Um, Allen Robinson's the one that could go off and, and really destroy them. So I guess we'll wait and see about that one. The Vikings did get Cameron Dantzler back at practice today, which is, is a good sign. I mean, I, I think, you know, you get him through the concussion protocol and it seemed like every reason to think he'd be back, but, the fact that he's practicing on what is for all intents and purposes Wednesday for the Vikings 
is a good sign. So you, you potentially have him and that helps with that group. But yeah, I mean, it, it's still a situation where you have a lot of young corners against a really good receiver. And if, if anybody's going to hurt them, it's going to be Allen Robinson. Yeah. Let's talk about quick, how disappointing, I guess it's been for the, two of the corners. It's been up and down for the rookies, but when you're talking about Mike Hughes and Holton Hill, um, Holton Hill was put on IR this week. Um, this was a year that you really thought you were going to figure a lot out about those two and they couldn't stay on the field much at all. Yeah. He got the, a little bit of the um, back of Mike Zimmer's hand this morning, didn't he? And it, it, we haven't heard that in a while, a little bit of the, the injury um, um, shame, mm-hmm. I guess would, yeah, the, the Sharif Floyd, Josh Robinson esque sort of this guy gets hurt and I'm getting tired of it kind of tone. I, was it, I think you asked him about it right at the end, right? Yeah, it wasn't exactly the same as Sharif Floyd, but it reminded me of that. It had that because when he said about Sharif Floyd, um, when the guy had nerve damage, and it's unclear at the point of which extent, I guess, that they knew about it at that point. But Zimmer said something about a month and a half into it, like, yeah, we didn't know it was going to be six years worth of hurt. Yes. Which just for an NFL player going through anything is just, I mean, you know, tough guy, whatever. Um, so with this, he comes out and says, like, yeah, Holton Hill, it's taken a lot longer than we anticipated. They put him on IR about four weeks after he had been sidelined. And so at that point, you know, if, if you're going to be sidelined three weeks, they put you on IR. So they, they really didn't anticipate this to be a month-long deal with Holton Hill, but he was out of the facility. Ben, as you reported, we can speculate that could have been for getting a second opinion to look at that foot because then the next I have week... been told it was not for that. Oh, okay. Well, so, yeah. anyway. The reasons I've heard are not that consequential. Okay, well, then, then <laughs> anyway, the week after he gets put on IR, so whatever it is, and then Mike Zimmer was not at all optimistic today about – whether or not this guy's going to be able to return this year. And so it, they're still young. Mike Hughes still has another year under his rookie contract. I doubt that fifth-year option is going to get picked up now, given just the way that his injury history has been. And, Ben, it, it seems like this, this neck problem just has not gone away from last year. No, it hasn't. And I think they are uh, internally starting to get a little worried about that because it – I mean, certainly anytime you have a neck injury with a football player, it's a concern on a physical level. But I, I think there's starting to be a concern of, is this in the back of your mind? And I, I think for any athlete, if you go out there and have an injury, a persistent injury like that, and that is related. I mean, what he's had this year is related to what happened last year. So if you have that going on and your livelihood, your well-being – uh, not just as a football player for the rest of your life. And you're talking about your neck. If that's in the back of your mind, it's, it's human nature that it's going to be there, but it also makes it hard to do your job. So you, I mean, you have to be a little bit willing to kind of ride the edge, I guess, as a, as a player to go out and hit without any fear. And I, I think there's a little bit of that worry that if this keeps up, is this starting to factor into the way he will go out and do the job simply because you're, if it's, if it's in your head that if I hit somebody, this could be it. Um, That's a tough place to be. So I think there are starting to be discussions about what his future looks like. I I think those have been going on for a while from what I understand, but I, I don't think that option gets picked up. And I also wonder what next year looks like for him in terms of, you know, whether he's back. I, 
I don't think physically this is a year ending thing, what he's got going right now, but I could also see a situation where depending on where they are, as people decide, okay, let's just shut it down. Let's not worry about trying to bring him back this year. And then if you do that, you've basically got three years that have have for one reason or another injury as a pretty large part of the story. And then if you're trying to decide, is this guy going to be a long-term piece in our future? It's hard to go forward with that. So yeah, it's a, I think it's a disappointing thing for them. And I think the questions about where he factors into things from here are starting to get louder. All right. Welcome back. Whether you're still sticking with us on the access Vikings podcast or joining us live on Facebook and start Thank you. Michael Rand, Andrew Kamer, Ben Gessling. We're going to get to a bunch of your questions. Some good ones, uh, everybody, this week. Get to one that I think gets to the heart of the matchup against Chicago um, from Al, who says, Gary Kubiak has said, where Dalvin goes, we go. Do you fear that the Vikings may become too reliant uh, on their run game and not use their playmakers they have in the, having the passing game going? Too reliant. See, I don't. I don't have a problem with that though, because I do think that Gary Kubiak is a hundred percent right. Um, I think he understands the limitations of his own quarterback, his own passing game. Um, I think though, you've seen two, two games though, where they haven't needed to rely so much on the passing game. So maybe it kind of gives off the impression that this is just going to, how, how it's going to be, but it was 40 mile an hour wins at Lambeau field. It was against a Detroit defense that had no interest in tackling anybody or fielding 11 people. And so I think when it comes down to it, you're going to see Irv Smith. You're going to see Justin Jefferson. You're going to see a lot of these talented guys, Adam Thielen included, um, make a difference. It's just, it might not be Monday night though, either, because this Chicago defense doesn't let much of anybody make. Yeah. I I think the thing the Vikings have, we've talked about it a lot over the years. The thing they've struggled to do is find multiple ways to win. Yeah. Or certainly multiple ways to score. And they've still, you know, we've talked about it all the time that they've been best built to play with a lead, whether it's Adrian Peterson, Dalvin Cook as the closer, uh, the defense gets a chance to make somebody one dimensional. And, and everybody's built to play with a lead in the NFL. That's not unique to the Vikings, but their struggles with the passing game have made it such that they can't get into shootouts. And we've seen games this year where they've had to do that. I, I guess yeah, I think on a week-to-week basis, it's a little hard to say that this is going to be what they are. And this is a little bit of the issue that you run into in the NFL in modern times where every game is such a big deal. And some of this is is the nature of the beast in terms of our jobs, too, that everything becomes, here's what we learned. Here's the larger takeaways of the things we learned about the identity of the team and you know, we, we all spend a lot of time doing that, and which, which is fine. I think there's some valuable analysis that happens as a result of that. But it also, I think, tends to lead you to saying, okay, this is what they are now. And the reality is this is still a team that has looked good in consecutive games for the first time all year. So I think the sweeping conclusions about what they're going to be, we probably have to give it a little more time to let that play out. You're saying basically just because they won a certain way the last couple of weeks, because it's kind of what both of you are saying, I think, is that don't assume that that's all that they feel like they can do. Or I mean, because Chicago is going to require probably a, a different approach. You, you're going to be in 
you're probably going to be in third and five, third and seven. You're going to have a game where Kirk Cousins has to make five or six big throws because you can't just, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. So, but you're saying Kubiak will do that when the, when the, up when the need arises. And this isn't just him getting stuck on an idea of this is how we win. Well, because when you look at it statistically, they are, the, I think, the most explosive passing attack in the NFL. Kirk Cousins yep. leads, them, leads the entire NFL in yards per throw. And that's because it's such a low – I also think it's the lowest volume passing attack. It's only like 26 throws a game or something like that. And when you've got that, it works when it hits. And I think you're going to see them kind of pick their spots and be really good at, at trying to take those shots. And they're pretty aggressive on fourth downs too. So I think they've got this good blend that's been going for them right now. The problem is, though – is what happens in a game like Monday night, and we're going to find out, is when they do get into those situations where the Bears know they're going to have to throw and they can't rely on those second down play action shots that have been netting them so many big, big uh, games. Yeah, it's almost, I think, in some ways with the passing game, they need to hit more of the 15-yard, 18-yard type throws where you get a, yeah. a decent chunk of yardage, but it's not go ball off play action. I mean, you know, the, those are great. 45-yarders are great, but you're not going to have them on every drive, especially against a team like this that will probably be able to pressure you with four, which means they can keep the lid on some of that stuff with their defensive backs, not allowing people to get over the top of them. And it also doesn't give Kirk Cousins as much time to throw because if you're getting pass rush with Khalil Mack and Keem Hicks, uh, Eddie Goldman going down the line, it's going to be difficult for Cousins to have enough time to set those things up. So you have to be able to hit some of the, 12, 15, 18 yard, uh, other multiples of three that I keep rattling off my head uh, like type it. throws to uh, to make that work consistently, I think. But, but aren't those the throws that Cousins has really struggled on this year? Having a lot yeah, of receptions come on, you know, drop, you know, linebacker, you're done not seeing guys dropping, forcing, yeah. forcing those kind of intermediate throws, especially over the middle. Yeah, it's sort of been check downs, deep shots, and the middle has been Rollouts. a lot of turnovers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a yeah. little bit like a, a hitter in baseball where he, you know, the three true outcomes kind of guy where it's home run, walk, strikeout. Um, they need a little bit more of the, the, the other stuff. I think a little it's, bit more Luis Arise, a little bit less Miguel Sano. Yeah, probably. I mean, and he even used the same analogy a couple of weeks ago. We need more singles and doubles and not just yeah. home runs. Yeah. There you go. Um, Neil's got a bigger picture question. He asks, are the Vikings moving to better use their total talent? Um, Please read this question with all of the uh, British um, colloquialism too, because I very much enjoyed this. I, well, I can't. I'll just point out defense is spelled with a C. Yep, uh, as is offense. <laughs> Are Vikings oh, yeah. moving to better use their total talent, players and staff, using Zimmer scheme coaching to have a cheap but effective defense whilst spending resources on explosive offense with a C? rather than other way around. Could this lead to better chances than before? I, I totally understand what he's saying. And, and yeah. we're seeing, I think we're seeing what they call the, what does uh, Spielman call it? The evolution of the roster a little bit. Yeah. I just think we're seeing the age come up where the young guys are being um, available right now on defense. Cause right now, if they wanted to, if they, if they had it their way, it'd be Neil Hunter, Anthony Barr, it'd still be a lot of Michael Pierce. It would still be a lot of high priced veteran guys on defense. If they could have it that way. Um, I just think right now you're seeing a lot of the guys on offense reach that kind of um, peak or maturation point right now, just naturally. I, to answer the question, I don't think we're seeing an organizational pivot 
on, oh, we've got to spend on offense more than defense now. I just think we're seeing kind of a natural turn of a roster. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and just kudos for using the phrase whilst in your question, Neil. I, 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 I got a kick out of that. Um, yeah, I would agree. I, I think if we've heard this team and this organization do one thing, it's kind of roll out the flag, I guess, for the way that they like to play. They are very proud of being the team that is tough, that likes to run the ball. And I think I used the phrase countercultural in a story a couple of weeks ago. There's, there's almost sort of this, everybody else is going this way, but we're going to go this way. We're going to do things differently than the rest of the league. We believe in old school football. I, a lot of the stuff is the running game. And a lot of that is also having a defense that can stop people, which you don't see people trying to build that much. I mean, you see defenses that do just enough to get the one or two stops again the they need, but a lot of it has become, let's see if we can score 40 points and we'll win that way. And we've seen that work. And I think a lot of teams have done it successfully, but you have to find the right quarterback to do that. So some of it probably is saying that we can win this way, given what we have, but a lot of it, I think is also, there is a belief with a GM and a head coach that both grew up in the Rust Belt with, hard-nosed football coaches as dads, that is part of their identity. That is part of how they believe the game should be played. And I think that's going to be part of the way they build the team. So a pivot, I, I don't see it as much as this is what we have to do right now. But I, I think in a perfect world, they are still going to try to have a nasty defense that can stop people more often than not. I think that's still going to be a focus going forward. I think they've definitely pivoted to at least more balance, though, because if you look at the resources they've given to the offense in the last few years, I think when I looked at it a few weeks ago, I think six of their last nine top three round picks have been offensive players, you know, on the offensive line. Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith, who else am I thinking of? Was uh, Madison, was he a top three? Top three round pick. Yeah. Yeah. So offensive line. So they, you know, given Cousins the big contract, Alvin the extension, you know, I, at the very least, they, they've given them more, you know, they're, they're certainly paying, I think, more attention to it in terms of this is a way we, we don't have to win one way we can. You know, I think you saw that some last year, even when they won, you know, like 42 to 30 against Detroit. It was like, oh, they, that never would have happened in 2015. Like, it, 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 so at least there's been in some kind of evolution. So I get that. But I think you're right. Like, as long as Mike Zimmer's the coach, they're not going to be a team that tries to beat you 35 to 31 every game. They just need one more corner, just just one more. <laughs> well, you remember the game in um, the the Rams Chiefs game in in eighteen, right? The, oh, yeah. the Monday night game that was supposed to be in Mexico City that was like fifty four to fifty one. Zimmer got asked about that the next day, or maybe a couple days later, whenever it was, and he's like, um, "I hope it's not turning into that. That they that run me out of the league or, or something like that." And I think he said it to Mark Craig in even more. Um, telling terms than that when they talked I think maybe last year uh, for a sit down Zimmer said something about I want to be the guy that ends that style of football I want to be the guy that comes up with the defense to run that stuff out of the league and and some of that is he's a defensive guy and it's okay this is the evolution that goes on and I have to evolve with it and try to figure out how to slow it down but I think there's also a, a point of pride of I don't like that this is the way the game is played now. And I want to try to be the guy that says, no, you can beat it. 
also think we're finding out that nobody's come up with anything to stop Patrick Mahomes. That's yeah. That's, that's at least that is also problem. true. <laughs> that's also one of the caveats, I think. Um, all right, Marcus asks Ezra Cleveland at right guard. Is it a one season fix, or do you consider keeping him there long term? That's got to be one season, right? Good you question. drafted him as a you drafted him as a tackle. He's I think he and O'Neill are your tackles next year, right? Riley Reeves played awfully well. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I don't know. I, I think really Reeves is, you think they would keep Reef longer than this year? I really don't know. I, I think they're going to need his money next year too. Yeah. So my, my guess would be at this point, no. Um, and then, yeah, Ezra would very much, I'm sure, get that shot maybe to be that guy. And it's just weird that they've, they've moved him in there and now they've liked it enough that they're going to keep him. But part of that is that their other options are that bad. Um, and with Ezra, I, I think you just got to see it first with him, right? I just, I don't know. I, you need to see him go through anything at tackle at the NFL level. And the fact that they moved him to guard, it's going to now be an entire process to get him acclimated to that spot, which is a huge spot as we're talking about a Bears game against, you know, the defensive front that we're talking about. So um, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does well enough, they consider it. I think at this point, if you're the Vikings, you need to keep your options open. And because right now it's not like you have an answer at guard either long term yeah and that i think that spot has become more important as you see pass rushers like akeem hicks and, and people that bring pressure up the middle i mean mike zimmer's defenses have brought a lot of pressure over the middle over the years I and mean, that's certainly the thing he's most famous for in terms of the signature i guess of his defense is is you know being part of the evolution and the popularization of that double a gap blitz package so that makes interior linemen who can pass protect more important now the, the thing that's a little bit of a tricky spot for them, though, is that say the season had been completely lost by this point, and we may still get there, who knows, but if it's lost, you make it to a point where you say, let's throw Ezra, Ezra Cleveland at left tackle in games that don't matter that much. We can just roll with it. But if you still feel like you have a shot to be a factor, you're not going to go mix, mixing things up and messing around with things in the middle of the year because you're you're, you're winning games the way you're doing things right now. And I agree that they're going to need Reef's money. Um, they're at least going to have to restructure that. And Reef, having had a pretty darn good year after taking a pay cut, may not be in a position where he wants to do that. Now, he may want to stay, and it, there may be enough other teams that have cap issues that you say, I'm going to take it. But if you're a left tackle, you're, there's got to be a market for you somewhere. So he may be in a spot where he could call their bluff in which case you're either keeping him on his contract or letting him go. And if it's those options, you're going to have a hard time, I think, paying your bills with him there, given the other guys that are around. I, you know, guys like Kyle Rudolph, I think, are probably in their final days, at least on their current contracts. So there are some other spots where they can save. But Riley Reef is an interesting question, as is Anthony Barr, I think. And I, I think that's a guy they very much would like to keep as well. But they have an interesting decision coming up with his contract as well. It's a good question because a team that has found any sort of success on the offensive line after so many months and years of, of struggle with me harping on it, like where I'm, I look at the grade and I'm like, wow, like this guy's actually top 10. Like this is, you know, they actually have guys who are having functional seasons. Um, you know, it's a, again, it's a smaller sample. They were, I think they were worse to start the year, but I think if, if you do say one thing they do well, it's the zone blocking. I think they're, 
I think they've, they've run block pretty well as a unit and, and a few of those guys in particular individually. So if you found something that works, it's kind of hard to say, well, okay, well now let's try this other thing because yeah, it's, you, this has, this isn't a formula that's really uh, that they have, haven't really hit on a lot of things so far. So if you, if you, if you find something that works, maybe you do stick. That's true. All right. Uh, I like this question from Josh. Um, he asks, are there any human beings other than Dalvin cook that can push a moving tank the other direction? I can't, I can't do that. <clears throat> uh, Gardner Minshew almost did. And the, the Jags were like, Hey, I think you got that, that hand injury. Let me look at your hand. And they're like, Oh we, yeah, you can't play anymore. You got to stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, running back who preceded Dalvin would yeah. Uh, raise his hand and say that you could do that <laughs> as would the defensive lineman who works out with the previous running back during the off season when he's healthy, as would the tackle that played next to the defensive lineman who worked out with the previous running back. Those people, of course, being Adrian Peterson, Daniel Hunter, Linville Joseph. I think just this kind of goes to show though, that just, I, I don't know. I don't think tanking can really be done effectively or well in the NFL. I don't think maybe. The oh, Jets that's what he was going for there. I thought oh, it was like a didn't... Chuck Norris thing. Oh, you didn't get that. No, that was a total. No, I thought he was doing like a Chuck Norris facts kind of thing. Oh no. That was just saying that. Yeah. He's, he's totally pushing this whole tanking season in the other direction. Um, yeah. Cause he is right. And Very clever. Nice. I, I just, I think, <laughs> I, I think tanking in the NFL is not, not a thing. I think basketball, you can do it. I think you can adjust lineups easily enough and, and go down in games easily enough. What he's doing right now is like, it's again, it's we're, we're, let's not get carried away, but it is a little reminiscent of what Adrian Peterson did in 2012, where they had so little else going for them, at least in the second half of the year. Like Percy Harvin was great the first half of 2012. And the Vikings have other offensive pieces, but like someone who is just like physically willing you to victory like Adrian did in 2012 is a little bit like what he's doing right now. So I, I guess I, I do kind of get it. Like if it wasn't for Dalvin cook, if he hadn't been able to come back healthy, um, you know, as soon as he did, I mean, let's not forget, like there was a question of should he be playing against green Bay? Like, is he healthy enough? Is he going to re-aggravate this? If he, if he hadn't done that, uh, they, they, we wouldn't be talking about outside chance of the playoffs right now. Well, and to follow the analogy, now that I get where it's going. Um, <laughs> so you, now that you're done taking a two-minute literal answer to it? Yeah, yeah. Take it take it seriously, not literally, I guess, is the, the way I should have gone with it. But 2012, is as you bring it up, that team, had it gone the way that I think everybody thought it was going to go, probably would have had a new coach after that season. I think Adrian 100%. Peterson yeah. – probably saved Leslie Frazier's job for a year and then where that would have gone who knows but you know I from my understanding I think there were people in the organization well the general manager that wanted to get rid of Frazier earlier and then you go 10 and 6 and make the playoffs you can't do it so then it was the kick the can down the road give him another year and say go do it again and obviously he didn't so we are where we are. I, I, I don't think this is where that's going because Zimmer and Spielman are, are much more in lockstep than Spielman and Frazier were. But the changes that we've talked about being a possibility or you know, even things like trying Ezra Cleveland at left tackle become more difficult when you're winning games and you say, we got to stay the course because we're, we're still winning. And I, I think overall the other factor in this in the NFL from a player perspective is Tanking doesn't happen as much because contracts are not guaranteed and somebody is still evaluating tape of what you did, not in the context of 
everybody's trying to lose games, so we're going to give this person a break. They're watching film to see what you can do. You may have to go get your next job in four months. So tanking, there's not as much of an incentive to tank partially because of that. Well, it's, it's not even like baseball where you can just have a low payroll. It's like you still have this kind of competitive pay system where it's like, yeah, you can you can maybe be the Patriots and have a lot of your salary cap out on the field. But at the same time, this is these are owners that I don't know. It's just a different kind of drive where I guess coaches too. their their shelf life is so short. You can't really survive that kind of thing unless you've got some kind of organizational direction and understanding like the Jets, maybe that, hey, this is where we got to go. Like in some ways, it seems like it should be easier in the NFL, right? Because there's fewer games you have to lose. Like NBA, if you're going to tank, you got to really commit to 82 games and really sell it. Um, you know, MLB, if you're going to tank, you got 162 games. You got to really, you know, fight your way to, to lose at least 100 of those. NFL, like you could, you know, you can drop, you know, a few of them organically and a few of them suspiciously. You could tank, but but I, you, Benny, you make a good point. I, I didn't really think about it in that context of players on non guaranteed contracts and, you know, just the, the, the factor of, of you know, hard to hard to sell that to somebody who, who's thinking about their next paycheck um i got one from anthony maybe this is a good one to end with yeah go for it looking ahead through the vikings remaining games according to fpi is at the football power index what i don't know what it is. It's, yeah it's the espn should, thing they should go six and two um looking at the teams above them for the final wild card spots the 49ers bears cardinals rams all have tough schedules ahead playoffs possible question mark this just kind of puts a bow on what we talked about at the beginning what, what would you like if we're asking you like if he's asking right now like what do you think 20 percent is about is about right are we overvaluing them based on these last two games and especially you know we didn't even talk about how they get i'm sure you guys did on sunday but how they got two punts blocked like this is still a team yeah. with with flaws like if this is a special teams game it's just come down to special teams against the bears which is good if it's a close game like that could be a factor but I don't know. You think like if I told you right now, like, do they have nine? Is nine and seven? Where does that fall? Where's nine and seven fall on the spectrum of likelihood? That's tough because I think it all comes down to a little bit how they look Monday night, right? Um, this is really a good, as we talked about earlier, litmus test for how good is this offense? How good um, can Dalvin Cook carry this team? Can can he carry them through a number one defense or a top ten defense? in the same way that he's done it through lesser defenses the past couple of weeks. Um, I think that's going to be the big question because 20% feels about right right now. And then if you say that they lose, you're obviously going to drop that. And if they win, I think that goes up to maybe even a coin flip at this point. And then nine and seven feels very attainable. If you're four and five and you're looking at, um, as we've laid out, Dallas, Carolina, and Jacksonville in your next three. And then you still got Detroit on the schedule too at some point. So I don't know. I don't, I think Monday night is really going to tell us how ready this team is to compete. And to me, all eyes should be on the Vikings offense. I I think when you talk six and two, that is based on the idea that they will win the games that they're supposed to. And the schedule certainly sets that up that they could do that if they win. Well, that, uh, that assumes a win Monday night, I would think in the, the losses I'm assuming in that scenario are at new Orleans at Tampa, that assumes you beat all the teams that you should beat and they're good enough to beat those teams. The question I have is, are they good enough to do it consistently for two months where you, you play eight games and you're good enough and you don't have the issues that led to you getting your doors blown off against Atlanta at home. Mm. Are you good enough to avoid that? Because if you're not, we're not, there's no point in having the conversation. I, I think, 
a lot of this comes down to, can they be consistent? Because we've spent a lot of time the last two weeks talking about, okay, they're back. Playoffs are possible. Yes, they are. But they are not realistic unless you can say we're, we're good enough to be consistent for two months. And even though we're playing bad teams like Jacksonville or Detroit, um, we are going to be able to not shoot ourselves in the foot at some point and lose a game that we should win. Unless you can do that, there's not really much point in having the conversation. I, I think Monday night is going to tell us a lot about whether they're able to do it because you have to go take care of games like this if you're going to make a run. And I think that's the kind of thing we need to still see them do before we're going to talk about the playoffs. Yeah. And I, one, one way maybe to look at this too, before we wrap up is I think most, like most of the data says the most likely win total for them is seven at this point. Like you got to get a mix of the winnable games, losable games. I think, I think most of, uh, you know, three of us might even agree that seven is probably the most likely number. If we can agree on that, what's the second most likely number? Is it six? Is it eight? Maybe that tells you more about how you feel about this team than can they get to nine. Yeah, I guess I would say eight. I would say eight because of the schedule. Um, I would say that because I think Carolina is maybe the next toughest game after Tampa Bay and these Chicago what is, games. What happened with Christian McCaffrey? I think it's a big question yeah. there. And the Teddy, Brid- Teddy Bridgewater revenge factor is very much real. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be – I think some of those games will be telling, but Monday night too. I, I think – I would lean eight though just because of how soft the back end of the schedule looks from November 12th right now. So if you figure eight, you're figuring wins against Dallas, Jacksonville, Detroit, uh, probably Carolina – and one against the Bears. Is that? Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. It seems, yep. seems reasonable. I don't, I don't even think the winning over New Orleans or Tampa Bay is out of the question, given how they played good against good teams. Sometimes they play up to the competition. But. They haven't beat the Bears since 17, right? Yeah. yeah. Matt Nagy no, has they, not lost to Mike Zimmer. Yeah. No. Mm. And they've had to, you know, they, they rested starters in that game week 17 last, last year. year. It didn't matter, but. Um, Week 17 well, in 2018 mattered a lot. It mattered a lot. And, they, and the Bears didn't matter at it, all to the Bears. Yeah, I mean, it didn't matter to the Bears, and the Bears still beat them. Right. So, yeah, they, and they haven't won down there either. So, yeah, it's assuming that they're going to sweep the Bears, I think, is dangerous. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that becomes a little and, – and if you're not going to sweep the Bears, then that means you have to steal a game against either Brady or Breeze to get to nine. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, so it all comes down to Monday to about how this goes. All comes down to money. Just like we said, <laughs> cool. Go ahead. Thanks for joining us here on uh start to be in strip sports live and uh, the access Vikings podcast. Maybe you should get off the podcast.